We're right at the end of a journey that we have taken through the Bible. Started in January, we have gone through the entire Bible from Genesis. Next week we get into Revelation where God wraps everything up. And it's been a great journey through the Word of God. I, I hope that you've been, those of you who've been with us, have followed along with the book, with the Bible studies and the readings and the videos and all that we've tried to provide you. Um, we are, it's, it's been, uh, uh, today's the 30th week. Chris will finish it off next week, 31st week, talking about restoration. God um, restoring his kingdom here upon the earth when Jesus returns. And I'm so ready for that to happen. I don't want to read about it. I want to see it. You know what I mean? That's where I'm at today. But we're not quite there yet. And then the week after that, I have a friend coming in. His name is Paul Williams. And he is going to go into a little bit more detail about the end time events. We'll have a, a conference that will start, or a seminar, whatever you want to call it. That will start Friday. We'll have a couple of sessions on Saturday and then finish up Sunday morning in service. But that's two weekends away, and I hope that you can make plans to attend. We'll try to feed you and treat you right. We're just going to come and find out more about what the Lord has to say about those end-time events because with all my heart, I believe we're living in the last days. I've always, always been fascinated by the last words spoken by famous people. I love biographies anyway, but the last words of these people have always fascinated me. Sometimes those words are just so filled with irony. For instance, the, the, an R&B singer back in the 50s named Johnny Ace. You've probably never heard of Johnny Ace, but he was quite a singer and guitar player. While he was playing around with a pistol during a break in a concert, said this. His last words were, I'll show you that it won't shoot. It did. <laughs> Sometimes the last words of these famous people give you insight into their beliefs and into their character. When Harriet Tubman was dying in 1913, she was uh, a leader in the anti-slavery movement, the, uh, the Underground Railroad movement. When she died in 1913, she gathered her family around and they sang together. And her very last words were, Swing low, sweet chariot. That's sweet, man. She was ready. And sometimes these last words are directed toward family members. And I imagine that the family members hang on to these last words for comfort as they grieve the loss of their loved one. For instance, actor Michael Landon. We remember him. Little Joe, house on, Little House on the Prairie. Michael Landon died of cancer in 1991. His entire family was gathered around his bed and his son said, Dad, it's time to move on. And Landon said, these were his last words, you're right, it's time. Love you all. Took his last breath. I imagine his family hung on to those words as they mourned the loss of their dad and husband. Well, today, today what we're going to do is we're going to read and study some of the last words written by the Apostle Paul. And I think these are among the most powerful words in the New Testament, words of wisdom and instruction. And frankly, I look at what Paul has to say here, and I take it as my marching orders. These are the orders that I live by as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you see them the same way. These are the last words written by this great man of God to a protege, a, a young pastor named Timothy. But when I read these words, I read them 
for my own understanding. I want to know how I should live for Jesus in these last days. These are my work, my marching orders. When I get out of bed tomorrow morning, these are my marching orders. And I want you to see them the same way. I want to somehow get across to you the import of who you have been created to be in Christ Jesus. And I want you to understand that there is a responsibility that we bear. We who have been washed in the blood of Christ now have a responsibility to live for Him, to, 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 to represent Him well in the world that we live in. So please listen to me carefully here. I think these last words are among the most important words spoken to us in the New Testament. Let's watch this little video and we'll summarize chapter 30 and we'll get right back up here. Here's the context in which Paul writes these last words that we're about to read. The emperor Nero is persecuting the church. Paul has been arrested for preaching the gospel. He's being held in a dark, cold, cramped prison cell in the famous Mamertine prison. It's where Romans would send their prisoners to die, either by starvation or through execution. So as far as Paul is concerned, at any moment he could hear footsteps coming down the corridor to unlock his door and lead him away to the execution chamber where they would either kill him by crucifixion or by beheading him. But Paul's not wasting a moment's time. He's not stuck with a victim mentality asking God, why me, why me? Instead, what Paul is doing is he is using every moment left to him in this life to encourage others. As a matter of fact, what we know is that Paul writes these let this, this letter, the letter that we call 2 Timothy. As he's awaiting certain death, Paul is writing these words to a young man named Timothy to encourage Timothy, to instruct his friend Timothy to carry on the good work that's begun in Christ Jesus. Let's read these words together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to get a little bit into chapter 4. Paul writes and says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecution I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, as for you, as for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. 
But you, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Let's pray. Father, I love You so much, and I thank You for this Word. Help me, God, just to get out of Your way. Spirit of the Lord, speak through me today. I just want to be Your messenger. I want to say what You want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. Challenge us. Challenge us today, God to see that you have raised us up for such a time as this. And help us not to back down because the situation seems too big and the opposition seems too great. Help us, Lord, instead to see that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Help us to live with power, joy, and love, and, a, and hope, and hope of what lies ahead of us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today. Amen. Amen. With all of my heart, I hope you will hear what the Lord has to say to you today. These are words that we need to take to heart ourselves. These words weren't just intended for Timothy, and they just weren't intended for the early church, the church that existed back uh, 2,000 years ago. These words are intended for us today. If these things... These words spoken to Timothy were true and helpful to him. I want, I can't imagine how more true and helpful they are to us today. And the first instruction that we get from this word is this. Endure persecution. Endure persecution. We live in a world that's increasingly hostile to Jesus and His people. Have you noticed that lately? We have people losing their businesses now because they aren't permitted to obey what they believe to be the Lord's commands. We have Bible clubs being thrown off of college campuses because they won't permit non-believers to become officers in those clubs. Why would a non-believer want to be part of a Christian club anyway? It doesn't even make sense to me. We have people who are being passed over for promotions or even fired because of their Christian beliefs. I know a friend who worked hard to get a PhD in chemistry at the University of Alabama, but because he believed in creation, was denied. I have another friend who was working with a company and he refused to go along with some of the corporate practices which he felt were unethical and immoral. They fired him and then blacklisted him. For two years he couldn't find a job. We live in a world that's increasingly hostile to Jesus and His people. When we live for Jesus in a fallen world like ours, we should expect to be going against the flow. There will be opposition nearly every step of the way. We should expect to be misunderstood sometimes. We should expect ridicule sometimes. 
We should expect sometimes trials and troubles and tribulations because living for Jesus in a hostile world means that we will often be opposed to the values and the priorities of the world that we live in. Paul reminds us of the price that he paid to live for the Lord in his day, and he tells us we should expect the very same thing. He said, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, about the kinds of things. We've read this, right? We've read it in the book of Acts. You, 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 you know all about these things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lysa, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them. We know that Paul wasn't rescued from this one, though. Or was he? Or was he? In fact, Paul goes on to say, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Look, expect pure persecution. Expect it to come and endure it when it does. When the world around us pressures us to compromise, what do we do? We obey the Lord and we just keep walking it out. When they tell us to shut up and just line up with the rest of the world, what do we do? We just obey the Lord and we keep walking it out. When they say our standards are old-fashioned, they're outdated, no longer apply in this modern world, what do we do? We obey the Lord and we just keep walking it out. Listen, the struggle to remain true to the Lord in our day is real. The struggle is real. Every month, reports come out and you can read them for yourself on, on uh, ministry websites like, um, uh, uh, gosh, Martyred for Christ. What's the name of that? I, I, I'll give it to you afterwards. Every month, these kind of reports come out from around the world that say 255 Christian brothers and sisters are killed every month. 104 are, are abducted. They just disappear. I get emails from my pastor friends in India all the time telling me of pastors that have just simply disappeared. Houses burned down. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually assaulted, or forced into marriage against their will. Every month, 160 Christians are detained or imprisoned without trial. Every month, at least 66 churches are attacked. Now, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. If that level of persecution ever reaches our shores, though, we need to ask ourselves, will I remain as faithful to Jesus as they are? Will I obey the Lord and walk it out like they do? That's a real question we may have to face one day. I just, I'm, informal survey here. How many of you have found yourself being humiliated, ridiculed, or face some other, some other price for your faith in Christ at work, in your home, how many? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And it's not because you stuck yourself out there and asked for it. It's just that you're doing the best you can to follow the Lord and you can't go there. You can't do that. You won't do that. And you find yourselves the butt end of a joke. Or you find yourselves being the one talked about all the time. Or you find yourselves the one being passed over for promotion. If you continue to be faithful to the Lord, I commend you. And I say the Lord will reward it one day. And I encourage you to keep walking it out.
keep walking it out. When you are persecuted, endure it. I want to remind you today that the Bible tells us the season of persecution and suffering will not last forever. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Can I tell you, I love that word temporary. I love the word, say it with me, temporary. temporary. Woo! That's a hallelujah word right there, baby. This suffering only lasts for the evening, for the night. Rejoicing comes in the morning. Temporary. We may not understand the reasons why we're in the mess we're in. We may wonder why God doesn't intervene and make things better. We certainly won't like persecution when it comes our way, and we shouldn't go out looking for it. But at least we know the injustice and the suffering will one day come to an end because the story isn't over yet. Chris is going to tell us about the end of the story next week when Christ comes to turn everything right side up again. It reminds me of a hymn that we used to sing a long time ago. We haven't, I haven't heard it in a long, long time, and I don't know why it came to my mind. It just did. Maybe you've heard it. A little song was named, it, it, it Will Be Worth It All. It says, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. I bet John could sing it for us like that. John, would you please, would you just stand up and sing that little chorus for me? I'll get you a mic, man. You need a mic? If you know it, sing it. When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase, so bravely run the race. Mm. 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 I think I can see the finish line. Mm. endure persecution that's your marching order tomorrow when you head out these doors and go to your jobs endure persecution when you get into that classroom endure persecution just obey the Lord and walk it out second stay biblical stay biblical Stay biblical. Stay, say it with me. Stay biblical. 2 Timothy 3.15-17 says, From infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good Work. Listen, the Bible is literally God speaking to us. Do you want to know what the will of God for your life is? He ain't going to write it in the clouds or write it on the wall. And more than likely, he's not going to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, this is it. What he's going to do is say, would you please open up my word and read it for yourself? The Bible is literally God speaking to us. It is God's instrument in saving us. 
Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. The Bible is God's instruction manual for growing us up. You want to mature in Christ? You want to become the person God has called you to be? Get in the Word. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a, I love this, full experience of salvation. Too many of us are not experiencing salvation in its fullness because we won't read the Word and let the Word train us in it. The Bible is God's foundation for a blessed life. Matthew 7.24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The Bible is God's weapon. He has given it to us to win life's battles. Ephesians 6.17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Look, the Bible gives us the blueprint for a God-pleasing, Christ-centered, spirit-filled, victorious, overcoming life. And I think that's why the great Bible teacher J.I. Packer once said, if I were the devil, if I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible. Guess what? The devil's strategy has worked. The devil seems to have successfully implemented this strategy of biblical illiteracy. He has made God's people biblically ignorant. If you don't believe me, come sit in my classroom. Monday through Friday, as these students who have grown up in church can barely tell you the first thing about the Bible. But what's worse is when I talk to the parents who seem to know even less. Recent surveys in America say that only 45% of those who say they attend church regularly read the Bible more than once a week. And they're probably fudging that number because you know how we are. We like to say we do things that we ought to do when we really don't. About 20% of those who regularly attend church call themselves believers, never read it at all. Never. Never pick it up. And a recent survey from last year says that only 17% of those who are Christians, who call themselves followers of Christ, only 17%, that's less than one in five of us, have what would be considered a biblical worldview. That means they look at the world around them and they interpret what they see by what the Word of God has said. Now look, I hope we're better than that. With every ounce of my being, I hope we're better than that. As a church, we have spent this entire year going through the Bible, trying to introduce you to its life-changing, life-giving power. We have read it together, we have studied it, we have preached it, But here's what I want you to know, and I want you to think about this. When we finish this series next week, we're not done yet. That's not a finish line. That's not a goal. The goal is to keep you in the Bible. 
We've got to keep on reading it. We've got to keep on studying it. We've got to keep on preaching it. We've got to keep on practicing it and obeying it. We need to stay biblical in all we do. Biblical. Stay biblical. This world is constantly trying to sever us from the anchor, the foundation of the Word, trying to cast us off into therapeutic nonsense. Listen, let's focus on the Word. Stay in the Word. Study the Word. It's what transforms us. It will set us apart. God's truth is what sanctifies us. It's what builds us up. It's what launches us out. It's what gives us power. Listen, the Bible is nourishment for our souls. You want to know why our souls are sometimes so weak and frail? We haven't studied the Word in a... Who knows how long? The Word is oxygen to our inner man. We can't live without the Word of God as spiritual beings. We cannot. There's no real wisdom apart from this Word. Jesus says in Matthew 4.4, it's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Some of us need to turn the TV sets off and pick up the Bible. Some of us need to stop listening to some of the just, Listen, stop listening to some of your worship music and start reading the Word of God. We're substituting one thing for another. There is no substitute for the Word of God. Let's stop fooling ourselves. Stay biblical. Endure persecution. Stay biblical. And third, go on preaching. Go on preaching. I guarantee you they're going to try to shut you up. But you go on preaching anyway. 1 Timothy 4 says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. I give you this charge. I give you, 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 you this charge. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Preach. Well, the reason so many of us can't preach the Word is because we haven't read it that morning. We don't know what to say. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Listen, this is not... Let's, let's get this... Let's, let's please take the American concept of church out of the picture here. All of us are in the priesthood of believers. This is not a command. Preach the Word is not a command given only to the pastors of churches or to evangelists that travel the roads preaching the Gospel. This command to preach the Word is directed to all of us. And you say, I don't believe that. Well, let's go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 where He gives all of His followers the Great Commission when He says, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Preach the Gospel. Preaching the Word isn't something that simply and only takes place behind this pulpit on a Sunday morning. Preaching the Word is the daily duty Say that word with me, duty. Not duty, duty. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. Duty. What is a duty? A duty is an obligation. A duty is a commitment. You and I have a daily duty to preach the Word. It's not something we do on a Sunday morning. Actually, the most effective preaching is not done on a Sunday morning. The most effective preaching is done on a Monday morning when you show up to work, where every word that comes from your mouth edifies and builds people up and points them to Jesus, where everything you do reflects the love and the grace of, of, your, of your Heavenly Father, that's where the best preaching is done. 
Preaching the word is a daily duty for all of us as followers of Christ. In Acts 1.8, let me remind you, Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you, you shall be my witnesses, not the pastors. Oh, the pastor's supposed to do his part, but he's pointing to you. You shall be my witnesses. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You don't pick up the phone and say, hey, pastor, somebody asked me about Jesus. What do I tell you? know, Can I get them to meet you in the office tomorrow morning? No. Why don't you tell them? It's your witness, obviously, that's affected their life. It's like, I'm not a hired gun, man. You know? I'm, not, I'm not Jesus' bounty hunter. Are you preaching the word? Are you willing to tell others what the Lord has done for you? That's a simple thing, is it not? Come on, somebody stand up right now and tell us what the Lord has done for you. I'm going to start pointing people out. Come on, bro. Amen. Praise God. He's good. MJ. Come on, MJ. I'm going to point you out. Stand up. I heard your testimony two weeks ago, girl. Outstanding. God's good. And, And I'll just follow this up by saying if you're in a situation similar to MJ's, guess what? God doesn't favor MJ over you. He'll do the same for you. That's good news. Come on, that's good news. That's good news. So are you ready to preach when you see the opening? Are you ready just to voice to the people around you what the Lord has done and how good He is and how He sets you free? You may not know all the Scripture that tags along with it, but I bet you can tell your story pretty well by now. Listen. Are you prepared to explain to someone that they too can be reconciled to God? Are you ready just to share what the Lord has done with your lips? But can I tell you something? Is your walk matching your talk? Because that's really what counts, isn't it? we got a lot of people out there with a lot of blowhard kind of Christianity. Enough of that. Enough of that. If you're going to talk the talk, let's walk the walk. Because frankly, that's what people are looking at anyway. They want to know if you're Actions are backing up your words. Does your walk back up your talk? Are you preaching the word with your words and with your lifestyle? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, So we are Christ's ambassadors making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, Come back to God. Come back to God. You see, that's the word we preach. God has now opened up a way for us to be reconciled to Him. We look at ourselves and we think, I am an enemy of God. What would He want to do with me? And we have the opportunity to go into our offices, into our classrooms, into the stores where we shop, and we have the opportunity with our words and by our lifestyle to say, wait a minute, man. God has opened up a way for you to be His friend again. Man, that's good news. Because that changes everything. So keep preaching. Keep preaching. Go on preaching. Fourth, keep pouring out. Keep pouring out. Endure persecution. Stay biblical. Go on preaching and keep pouring out. In verse 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, And the time for my departure is near. 
What does Paul mean when he talks about being poured out like a drink offering? Well, what Paul is talking about there is a a religious practice that's also known as a libation. After placing an uh, an animal on the altar to sacrifice, a priest would take wine and pour it on that burning sacrifice, which would create a steam that would rise up in the air toward heaven. And what it symbolized was the rising of the sacrifice into the nostrils of the God to whom it was offered. What Paul is saying here is that his life is continuously being poured out as an offering to God and that one day soon, one day soon, his cup would be empty and he he would have nothing left to give. But until then, until that day arrived, until ultimately they chopped his head off, you know what Paul kept doing? He kept pouring out. Can you imagine being the Roman soldier that had to take care of Paul? I imagine that Roman soldier knew more about Jesus than we'll ever know. I bet there wasn't one moment that went by without Paul testifying to the power and the grace and the mercy of God. He kept pouring out until literally they took his head and there was nothing left to pour. And I think that that challenge remains for us today. We need to keep pouring out. Say it with me. Keep pouring out. I don't know how much is left in your cup. I'm 57. I have no no idea how much longer my life, how much uh, of my life remains to me. Some of you are early. Madeline's 18. I hope to goodness she's got years and years and years left unless the Lord comes back, and I pray for that, and I imagine she does too. Every day, pour out. Keep pouring out. Keep pouring out. Keep, that's the idea behind Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul writes and says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Keep pouring out until your cup literally has no more to pour. Keep Pouring out. That's, that's the idea behind 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Keep pouring out. Keep pouring out. How many of you know if you keep pouring out, God keeps refilling? If you keep giving, God keeps giving you. If you keep loving, God keeps filling up that tank so that you can love some more. Come on, you experience that for yourself, right? Keep pouring out. Out. It's the idea behind Matthew 5.16 where Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Keep pouring out. Keep pouring out means to live every moment of your life as a love offering to God. Think about that for just a minute. Why don't you go back and relive the last week. Is that the way you lived your life last week? Well, if not, it doesn't really matter. you got this week to live for Him. Keep pouring out out. Keep pouring out. It means means seeing every moment of your life as a love offering to God. It means seeing everything you do as an act of worship to the Lord. It means seeing every conversation you have as an act of worship to Jesus. It means every interaction you have with somebody is a chance to pour out the love of God toward them. Every day at work, every day at school, at home, or at church, keep 
pouring out. Let the grace and the mercy of God be seen in every, be heard in every word, be seen in every action. Wherever you go, whatever you do, keep pouring out your life as an offering to the Lord until at last, like Paul, your cup runs dry and you draw that final breath. In a few weeks, Kaylin doesn't know this yet, but she's in my class at Kingwood. In a few weeks, I'm going to present a, a series to the kids where we're going to say, when it's all over, it all goes back. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. When the game is over, play it. And the, the, the metaphor here is a Monopoly game. You get that Monopoly game, you set it up, everybody starts off with the same stuff, and you're playing to get all the money, right? Get all the houses, get all the property. That's what you're playing for. You're playing to win, and you get all the property, you get all the money that the Monopoly game has, right? And you win. Wow, it's cool, I got all this stuff. And then what do you do? It all goes back in the box. <laughs> Guess what? When this life is over, all that stuff that sometimes we work so hard to get, we, spend our, we pour out our life trying to climb that corporate ladder, trying to get more moolah in the bank, trying to get that big car. Guess what? When it's all said and done, the game's over, what, what, what do we do with it? You ever seen a U-Haul following a hearse? That old country song. <laughs> no. When the game's over, it all goes back in the box. And only what's done for the Lord will last. Amen? We need to keep that in mind. We spend a lot of our life on things that don't matter at all. When, we, when I talk about pouring out, I'm talking about pouring out your life as an offering to God, not to the job, not to the boss. Man, I have gone all over the place today. I'm going to ask uh, Chris and, and, and Mike and the worship team to come back up. We're about to bring it to a close. We're going to share communion here in just a moment. We're going to worship the Lord. I want you to think about this as we bring this message part of our service to, the, to a close. Man, we've, I have so much enjoyed this journey through the Bible. It's the third time I've done it. And it gets better every time. But I want you to think about this as we close today. As Paul writes these last words, as Paul writes these last words, Nero was Caesar of the Roman Empire, literally the king of the world. As Paul writes these last words, Nero is living in a palace while Paul languished in a dark, cold prison cell. As Paul writes these last words, Nero enjoyed popularity and the adulation of the masses. He was the Kardashian of the day. Paul, he suffered. Alone, isolated from everyone he loved. As Paul wrote these words, Nero was hot, man. And Paul was not. Nero was a hero. Paul was just a big zero. And if you had asked people back in the day, 
Who would be the most likely to leave a lasting legacy when they died? Everyone would have said Nero. And I doubt anybody would have mentioned Paul. But it's Paul who ended up leaving a lasting legacy. It's Paul who God used to change the world. No one remembers Nero. People don't name their kids after Nero. But I've met several Pauls and Paulines and Paulettes. People don't name churches and schools after Nero. But you can't get too far without seeing a building, a school, a hospital named after Paul. Paul left a permanent mark on this world. Paul lived well, Paul died well, and Paul left a lasting legacy as a result. Listen, I really believe these last words, these last words from Paul tell us how you and I can do the same. You see, it doesn't matter how you start, it really matters how well you finish. And Paul gives us some instructions, and I believe really these are more than just instructions. I believe these are marching orders for those who are in the family of God. Endure persecution when it comes. Stay biblical. Stay biblical. Don't let them talk you out of the truth and power of the Word of God. Go on preaching. Let your words and your life be a testimony to the grace and the mercy of God. And keep pouring out. Keep pouring out. Let every moment of your life be lived as an act of worship to the Lord, the one who saved you, the one who redeems you, the one who called you by name, the one that lifted you up from the pit and put your feet on solid ground. You keep pouring out for the glory of God. Let everything you do, everything you say, be to His glory until your race is won, until your fight is over, until you hear in the end, Jesus say to you, well done, well done, well done. There's a crown that awaits you. There's a crown that awaits you. I think some of us need to recommit ourselves to the call of God upon our life. I think some of us have become distracted by the cares and concerns of this world. And we've begun to chase the glittery things and not the things that matter. And I think there are some in this room that have yet to give their hearts to the Lord. And you find yourself so empty so dissatisfied. And I'm telling you today, there's a God who loves you, a God who sent His Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, a God who makes a way for you to be reconciled to Him. And all you have to do is turn your back on the empty way of life and turn your heart, your life around to trust Jesus. I don't know where you're at. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. 
But here's what we're going to do the next few minutes. We're going to worship the Lord. We're just going to sing some choruses.